Hi, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and for many years I did live radio. Then I transitioned to the podcast world where I feel I found my home. I love talking about spiritual formation, justice issues, and spiritual practices. Throw in the Enneagram, movies, and current events from time to time, and that's what you get on the podcast. I'm glad you've come along for the ride. Welcome to Faith Conversations. Welcome to Faith Conversations, everyone. I'm Anita Lustria, and you are going to be glad you joined today, that you downloaded, uploaded, whatever the heck you did with this podcast. You're going to be glad you're listening, whether you're out jogging or doing the dishes or driving your car, um, because we're going to talk about a curious faith, the questions God asks, we ask, and we wish someone would ask us. And actually, I really like that last line of the subtitle. Uh, that is a part of the book, and we're going to be talking with Lori Ferguson Wilbert today. Uh, just a quick reminder, I know some of you are wonderful, faithful, you're all wonderful. <laughs> you're all wonderful. Some of you are supporters of the podcast. I'm just here to, to say a quick little blurb that maybe one way to look at it, uh, as one of my favorite podcasters does, is uh, to look at it like give a $30 gift for the year. I like that a lot, actually. Not, uh, you know, a dollar a podcast or whatever. There are too many of these podcasts for that. Uh, $30 gift a year. And uh, you can do that by writing a check and mailing it if you like to do that. Or you can do it through PayPal. And the email address is producer at anitalustria.com. You can email me at that email address as well. And I can give you a couple other options too. All that aside, let's Let's launch into this podcast. Welcome, Lori, to Faith Conversations. Thank you, Anita. Thank you for having me. Uh, I also didn't say this in the intro, but you're in the process of pursuing an MA in Christian Spiritual Formation and Leadership from Friends University. Where are you in that process, and why did you decide to do that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am almost complete that process, which is exciting. It's been a... <laughs> Um, I mean, it's, I love schooling, so it's been ah. great, but it's, um, it also has been a pretty intense program. Um, and so I'm excited to be coming through it. Coming through it. Yeah. Why, yeah. why did you decide to do that? And what do you want to, you know, the big question is always, what do you want to do with that degree? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Why did you decide to launch into that MA program? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. I think, Friends has a long history of being just deeply um, steeped in spiritual formation. Yeah. Um, I mean, Richard Foster, Renovare, sort of mm -hmm. adjacent. Um, James Bryan Smith. I James Bryan Smith. Him. Yeah. <laughs> the Apprentice yep, the Conference and, beautiful. and all that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's beautiful tradition there. Um, but I think one of the things that specifically drew me to that program in particular was that they say from the onset that they are more about your own formation than they are about information. Nice. Which, you know, from the onset that, that sounds really attractive. <laughs> and then when you're in the middle of it, you're like, wow, this is a lot harder. Yes. You know, you're, you're having to face some real, you know, yeah. shadow sides of your, your yeah. own self, uh, through the program. But honestly, it's, I, I think one of the things that drew me to it was just looking around at our sort of 
evangelical world right now and seeing, you know, you and I were talking before we started about being deeply formed and shallowly formed people. And I just notice my own need to continually um, become more deeply formed myself um, as someone who's kind of speaking in public spaces. I just never want to be someone who takes my hand off the sort of gear shift of my own spiritual formation. And um, yeah, I just want to, I want to be there. So, you know, midlife, it seemed like a good time to always. Yeah. Yeah. It seemed like a good time (laughs) to commit to that. So for sure. I love that. Hey, tell me about your writing journey. Uh, You know, um, what's, did you always want to write? I mean, is that what your initial schooling was toward or, you know, I always like hearing that too. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was 13, I read um, Madeline Langle's book um, for young adults, part of the the Austin family series called Troubling a Star. And I um, met in Vicki Austin, Madeline's character, um, a friend. Nice. And through Vicki Austin, the character met Langle and, um, and, and knew pretty much from then on, this oh. is what I want to do with my life. And, you know, obviously a dream is one thing, um, a reality is <laughs> it's quite another. So it took me, you know, a while to get to the place where I was able to, to live on, you know, the, the fruit of that labor, but Yes, um, that is that is some really hard work. I yes. Yeah, I mean it's hard. I mean every all work is hard work in some sense. I think that um what I maybe didn't anticipate as a 13-year-old would be like the onset of social media and the ways that that would I right. think affect um artists of all kind. Um, in my adulthood. And so it's just a challenge I've had to, but yeah, got an English degree and worked as an editor and a writer and nice. yes, and now writing books. Now writing books. Um, talk to the person uh, listening today that, you know, just kind of reads junk fiction all the time and um as an escape, and I get some of that as well. Um, I can get stuck in nonfiction. Part of that is because of what I do as a podcaster and spiritual director. I also understand that, but I try and move in and out of some good fiction. Talk about um, reading quality fiction and what that does for us. Oh, that's such a great question. And I will just say this. I I am a fan of junk fiction at certain periods of my life uh, when I'm reading too many meaty things. But yes. um, I think there's, you know, there's things that can be communicated to us in, in good fiction and good story um, that cannot be communicated in nonfiction. And I think in a sense, it's almost, um, there's a mirror that happens in good fiction that I don't know um, if it can happen in the same way with, with nonfiction, it's not quite as personal. And so, um, you know, I've read a couple of books recently. I read uh, Susan Howitch's Glittering Vices and oh, that's a book yeah. that will just, I mean, you, I don't think you can read that book and not feel 
just not encounter your own ego, your own, that whole series, right? Yes. uh, Yeah. yeah. But then I also, you know, just recently read Stephen King's The Stand and I don't know if you've ever read it, but it is not. Yeah. Like just the story about like goodness and darkness and light and, and, um, again, just facing our own selves. And I think there's something really powerful about timeless literature. Yes. Well, timeless literature, it, it, it is, it's transcendent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's why it's timeless. Timeless. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. I just, that was good to, to throw in there. That's, that's for free folks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, before we get into talking about a curious faith, because that's where we're going to spend most of our time, I did want to ask you about Handle with Care. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a book that came across my desk during the pandemic, and uh, I don't have the subtitle right here handy. You maybe that's on the tip of your tongue, probably so. But something about touch yeah, how, or something, right? What is yeah, that? how Jesus transforms us, how Jesus transforms tra- touch in life and ministry. I think it's something like that. Well, so this comes across my desk during the pandemic and I'm yeah. thinking touch, we can't touch anyone. This is either really well-timed or horribly really timed. And, timed. <laughs> and I thought I want to yeah. talk to the author, but I just can't, I couldn't yeah. find, I was like everyone else in the, especially earlier on in the pandemic, yeah. I found myself not being able to read, you know, binge watching things on different languishing uh, streaming. It's languishing. Thank you. That's That's, thank you for that good word. Oh, that was, uh, oh, that was a op-ed in the New York times. They said, that's what they they said. Yeah. Yeah. I probably read it. Just didn't remember that title. Um, so talk, talk a little bit about your vision for that book and, as you started realizing when it was going to release, what actually happened and Mm -hmm. not only with the book, but in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. I started sort of thinking about the idea sort of at the height of the me too. So 2017, 18 kind of um, time period. And I just thought, you know, we have so many examples around us of what not to do with our bodies, with one another. And I just I just didn't have anything around me accessible for what to do with my body. And so I wanted to explore that topic, having no idea what was going to happen in 2020. Mm. I mean, it takes about two years from the time you sort of generally have the idea, write the proposal to the time the book releases. And the book released um, about three weeks before we all went on lockdown and I, I'll be honest with you, Anita, I just, there was one day where I just like threw the book across the room. I was just like, sure. all this hard work. And I feel like I can't talk about this book right now because we're all being told to stay away from each other and for good reasons. Um, so, so that was like, yeah, it was like a very hard season yeah. to release it. Uh, so I'm a big proponent, I, and maybe it's because I've been on the broadcast and now podcast side of things for so long. And, and I've also written and released a couple of books. Mm-hmm. I am a huge proponent of uh, not doing things like publishers do, this three-month window to yes. push a book. Um, I, my stuff is what are called, what's called perennials. Well, that's what your stuff is. This stuff is perennial. This, so, um, 
Uh, there are certain publishers that I deeply appreciate who will send me anything, anytime. They don't have that sense of this yeah. was only good during this three months. I might find a book, you know, two years down the road and go, oh, I want to talk about this with my audience, I, you know, mm -hmm. and they'll send it. But many publishers, it's the promotion part is this very narrow window. So I'm thinking about your book, you know, Handle with Care. Um, I didn't know why you had written it. I love hearing that backstory mm -hmm. because I think you're, I think there have been a lot of books coming out about the body, mm -hmm. but I feel like yours has a different angle as you're talking about, um, uh, remind me that subtitle, like Jesus is, is in there. It's a different. Yeah. So I, I look at, I think something like 10 or 12, um, narratives with, with Christ in scripture um his incarnate body um engaging with other humans and what that can kind of uh set an example for us as humans how do we engage with the opposite gender how do we engage with our family how do we engage with children um because i do think there is sort of an appropriate thoughtfulness that we need to bring to each of those it's not sort of this blanket way that yeah. we engage yeah. even with our own bodies. Like how do we, how do we engage? How do we touch our own bodies? How do we care for ourselves and yet not capitulate to this, you know, the idolatry of self-care? Um, what yeah, does it mean to balance? properly What's, love yeah. ourselves? There you go. Yeah. So oh, I'm going to post handle with care in the show notes as well, because Thank I think you. that's something that people should get uh, a hold of and, pay attention to. I'm thinking of um, Trevor Hudson, who's a favorite author of mine. He's a South African pastor, retired now, mm -hmm. but a dear friend of Dallas Willard's. And um, he invited Willard one time to come to South Africa and Dallas came. And on their way back to the airport, this is early on in their friendship, Trevor Hudson says to Willard, so you know what, what should I be reading next? What should I read next? Yeah. And Willard goes, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And <laughs> Trevor Hudson goes, uh, yeah, uh, okay. And they drive on in silence a little That's further. That's such a Dallas. <laughs> and they're such getting, a Willard they're, answer. Isn't it? They're getting closer to the <laughs> airport and Trevor goes, all right, I got to try this again. So uh, well, what else should I be reading now? Yeah. And Dallas Willard says, Matthew, Mark, mm. Luke, and John we, if, you know, if you want to know God, you've got to know Jesus, yes. if you know, yeah. and I, oh, I just love that response. And so you're, you're focusing in, in handle with care, a specific angle of the Jesus relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, so I love that. And it reminded me of that story. You know, we've got to look at the, yeah. we've got to continually look at the gospels yeah. and the life of Jesus, not the, not to the exclusion of, of the rest of scripture, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm here in Dallas Willard in my head, even as you described your book. So yeah. Love yeah. That. Yeah. If we know what, I mean, you just said it, if we want to know God, we've got to look at Jesus. And yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Good stuff. Well, all right. Moving on <laughs> to why we're here today. Um, a curious faith. Uh, and I always think it's interesting to hear, um, the backstory of any book, you know, what, what, 
what was it that sparked in you this desire mm. to sit with all of these kinds of questions? I, I read the subtitle earlier, the questions God asks, we ask, and we wish someone would ask us. What, uh, what got you moving down this path? I mean, I think I tell everybody this, the sort of germination of a book idea is usually 10 or 12 different things happening around your life at the same time that kind of all kind of lead to a single sort of origin point. And, but I think, I think one of the bigger reasons was just realizing how, um, I, I tend to be a, a natural listener and question asker in most of my relationships. And, um, and in some ways I prided myself on that quality. Um, and, in some ways judged others who didn't uh, do that, even with my own self, like they didn't do that with me. And, um, and the Lord, you I mean, talk about glittering, but yeah. <laughs> like the Lord made me face myself and mm -hmm. realize that this listening question asking, which is not bad, but there's a shadow side to it um, was, was a tactic to, keep from being exposed myself to keep from um making space for others to ask me questions and when i realized that i realized how um how little time i would spend with god asking me questions <laughs> and um and that kind of just opened this pathway just to be thinking about what would it mean to sort of put myself in, in Adam and Eve's shoes and be asked the question, what have you done? Who told you that? Where are you? Um, and then, you know, that just kind of opened hmm. the whole Bible to me and, and realizing, oh my goodness, there are so many questions posed in scripture and in the, in the particular, in the evangelical church in particular, we are so uncomfortable with questions, questions. <laughs> we and want to be told we want to yeah, be told. yeah and that certainty factor is what we yeah. really like right yeah so I worked really hard in the book to um I'll tell you there is an answer his name is Jesus um but to not give answers to a lot of these questions um because I want the reader to yes. do the work themselves um, I noticed that yeah <laughs> yeah I noticed that as I would would uh gravitate towards certain questions like I've got I want to look this one up oh you're you're not giving me the answer <laughs> I thought that was really yeah. uh brilliant um also I'm I'm curious um how did you Come up with the three sections your subtitle is actually three sections to the book mm -hmm. uh and, and uh, you know i get the first one questions god asks living curiously mm -hmm. and probably even the second one questions we ask god that's something that just yeah. comes naturally and you know sometimes we'll think about the fun questions that children ask that oops yeah. we actually really want to know them ourselves as well uh, but yeah, what got you thinking about, um, that third section questions we wish someone would ask us loving, you call it love. I, I just now realized you call living curiously. The first one, 
questions God asks, listening curiously questions we ask God, and loving curiously questions we wish someone would ask us. Talk about that third section. Yeah, so I, the incarnation matters, right? The life of Jesus matters. And I think, you know, it matters for a myriad of reasons. But one reason it matters is because he was showing us how to be human. Um, and, you know, you know, we talked about if you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. But if you want to know what like a fully formed human looks like, also look at Jesus. <laughs> and, and so I'm like, okay, how does Jesus engage the people that come across his path? Um, as a human with other humans, how does he engage with, with questions? And I think Jesus was asked or asked something like 300 questions in scripture and only answered like three of them. Oh, Um, no, I I knew he asked a lot and I knew somewhere in that crazy. I didn't know he only really answered. It's like three or eight or something like that. Yeah. It's a very small number. And, and so I think that's something we should pay attention to. And I think it's something that we need to emulate in our lives. And so, and I think we all want, like, I think our gut feeling when someone asks us a question, I'll use this for example, before we started recording, you said to me, how are you? And this like natural inclination rose up in me to just be like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. But then I immediately thought, nope, I can't do that you got to tell the truth. And so I was able to share something that was um, a difficult thing that, that we're kind of navigating right now that is heavy on me. And I think we're faced with that choice when we actually choose to engage questions on a, on a deeper level instead of a shallow level. And maybe we even think of a different way to word questions mm-hmm. that are the same old ones. Like um, wh- what I said was, how are you coming today? Mm, how are you coming you as opposed to how are you? Because I think how yeah. are you is often this throwaway for us. Yeah. It's really a way of saying hi. Mm-hmm. Um, but unless we do the no, really, how are you kind of thing, which people and some people tend to be friends that do that. But um, yes, how do we, I remember when I had a, a, I have a soon to be 30 year old, but when he was a high schooler, I realized middle schooler, I realized pretty quickly should have dawned on me sooner, but mom, don't ask yes or no questions. Mm. (laughs) That's what you'll get. And so I went to more the exam and kind of questions, you know, what was your what was the best moment of your day today? And he had to stop and not, he couldn't blow that question off. <laughs> he had to think. Yeah. I think it's, there's, um, I wonder if there's a laziness that we kind of, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it's, we're being purposely lazy. I just think that we are used to, you know, I love that you said, how are you coming today? I forgot that you said that because it, it kind of, it jarred me from my stupor. And I think that a creativity in the way that we ask questions Mm -hmm. um, does that to people. Well, say, let's say so. Let's stop for just a quick moment here on creativity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think, so we're created in the image of our creator, creative Mm -hmm. creator, God, the, you know, ultimate (laughs) in creativity 
But I feel like we have maybe um, given away our creativity to others so that we pull up our chair to look at their creativity, Mm -hmm. but maybe do not choose to engage in our own creative endeavors. I don't know. Say would you give a yes or a no to that, but expand? (laughs) I think Andy Crouch talks about this. I can't remember where, but he talks about, um, friction being necessary for, um, the difference sort of between learning to play, um, a Bach, uh, piece and turning on Bach on Spotify. Um, sort of the difference between those two, the enjoyment, the labor is, is more for the first one, but the enjoyment is, is more too. And I think, I think about that all the time. Um, like how do I cultivate creativity in my life over consumerism? Um, and it's, I don't think there's like a one, there's not a, there's not like a do A, B and C and you'll, (laughs) you'll be creative. But I do think there's such value in um stepping back for a moment maybe taking a minute and um thinking how can I perhaps enjoy this in a different way or do this in a different way um yeah I I think a piece of that comes with um choosing sometimes we are shaken into this or um but choosing to not walk through life in a a numb state. I think it's easy to fall into that. Yes. I'm an Enneagram nine. So (laughs) yes. (laughs) Say no more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so we have to, so I'm an Enneagram three Mm -hmm. and, um, I, uh, uh, and, and generally I live in an engaged manner, but I can point to an incident. I was let go from a job. Mm-hmm. I moved right into the Enneagram unhealthy nine yep. numb out space. Yep. <laughs> and all of a sudden, well, it took me a while actually to rec- to recognize it, or I was unwilling to recognize yeah. it. It's just, uh, but yes, we, um, sometimes something will shake us awake. Um, but if it, doesn't you know how we've got to start asking better questions of ourselves it goes back to this yes curious faith yeah yeah I find I think honestly you asked earlier why did you write this book and I think part of it was because I needed this book (laughs) like I need to be asked good questions if I'm not asked questions I I will use all of my energy to avoid um using my energy. Uh, and so being asked a question really does sort of shake me from my stupor, um, in a helpful way. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's one of the most powerful things about spiritual direction. Mm -hmm. I, it's not, not really why I decided there are other reasons why I decided to become a spiritual director, but I certainly recognize that a benefit to me when I meet with my spiritual director. And I certainly hope that I do this for my clients as well, but you know, she can ask some really potent questions that definitely shake me awake, you know? (laughs) Um, and in the best sense of that, you know, not in any kind of a mean way, no, in a way that desires to draw me closer mm-hmm. to Jesus, more closer to my true self, et cetera, you yeah. know, 
So, uh, so I, I, I mean, I really gravitated toward, toward your last section in the book, questions we wish someone would ask us loving curiously. Um, I think, I think what would be interesting before we, of course, I've lost track of time, but before we end this, I would love to have you pick a question from each of the three sections and just like why uh, a question maybe that either surprised you that came to you or one that you really wanted to make sure was put in here mm. or a favorite one of yours. I don't know however yeah. you wish, but I'd love for you to just kind of, yeah, yeah, grab I need one. To- I don't know where my copy of the book is right now, but um, I think from can the help first, you. <laughs> yeah, from the first section, uh, the question that uh, the Lord asks Moses at the burning bush, what's in your hand? You know, Moses is throwing out all these excuses for why he can't do the thing that God's asking him to do. What if they don't believe me? What if, you know, I'm, I'm slow of speech and slow of tongue and I'm, you know, I'm this and I'm that and which are all true things. Like Moses had, you know, you know, he's taken away from his mother at a young age he was raised in a like he he had all these things go wrong in his life and I think when God says to Moses what's in your hand and the staff is in his hand the staff is there because so many things went wrong in Moses's life and I Mm -hmm. think that for me is such a potent question like what's in your hand that you didn't expect to carry that feels unfair maybe um because that's the thing that i'm going to use to um to make a way for you you know that's the thing i'm going to use to split the red sea and get water from a rock and Mm -hmm. convince pharaoh to let the people go and have the israelites win against the amalekites so that was a really surprising sort of journey that i went on on that question so, so I want to, I just want to interject this really yeah. quickly. I think even hearing you talk about that, what comes to me is that in part in this book, you're inviting us into doing our own Lexio Divina yes. with these passages, yeah. with these questions. I absolutely love that. It is my favorite practice and one that takes me to surprising places. And that when you said that about that you didn't expect. I think that's what scripture does when we engage yeah. it in this way, asking questions, listening, et cetera. Yeah. So I, anyway, I heard your invitation to us in your book, um, to the spiritual practice of Lexio Divina, really. Mm-hmm. Thanks oh. for saying that. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> uh, I think the yes, second no. section, I, um, I think the most probably the most powerful question for me was, um, when the Lord asks Jonah, what right do you have to be angry? Um, and that was, that was a hard one for me because as I said, I'm an Enneagram nine and anger is very difficult for me to access. And yet I think of all the biblical characters I identify with the most, I identify with Jonah. Um, you know, I'm going to do, I'm going to sit in the, you know, a fish's guts to avoid doing what God's asked me to do. <laughs> wow. Right. Um, yeah. And so I think like sort of stirring up, just being willing to face those feelings um, is pretty powerful. Mm. And then I think the last, from the last section, I think my favorite one is when Jesus um, has risen and he sees Mary 
at the tomb and he says, why are you crying? And who are you looking for? And that to me is sort of the encapsulation of the gospel. Um, what hurts mm. and um, who can heal? What right. He's asking us to answer that. Yes. Who, we know who can heal, but why are we yeah. not going there? Why are we not, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't know something. I also really love the question though. He asks the woman um, before he says, go and sin no more to the woman who's caught in adultery. adultery. He says, does no one who condemns you who condemns that's, you? That's what he says to her. Condemns and he's, you. he's like, Hey, look around. No one's condemning you. No one. Like they're gone. The Pharisees are gone. I'm not condemning you. You don't have to condemn yourself. So I love that one too. Mm. Um, I just think these are really powerful things for us to kind of sit with. Well, I'm here to say it's a book full of powerful questions. I love this book and um, so thought provoking it personally. So one of the things I also liked because I think post-pandemic life, not really, it's not totally post. <laughs> short chapters. We have short, yes, we have <laughs> short att- maybe it's just the current, our, just social media, whatever. We all have short attention spans yeah. these days. I love that these are short and and potent. I mean, really, you know, you can mm-hmm. sit with this and think for a while. So I really, really like that. Um, I, I have loved this conversation today. Thank you Thank so much, you. Lori. Really appreciate it and appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. I've appreciated it too. Good work. The book, A Curious Faith, and you can find out more. I'll link it uh, in the show notes in case you don't have pen and paper handy. And I'll have uh, Lori's website there as well and other ways to connect with her on social media. Uh, Again, thank you and keep on, keep writing. I know you will. Thank you. And to everyone else, I always say keep the conversation going. Hmm.